the book of Luke, chapter 2. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended and they started to return, the boy Jesus stayed behind in, Jer in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started to look for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished, and his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in years, and in divine and human favor. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Good morning. You know, if you noticed, uh, Jennifer and I were out of town last uh, Sunday, and uh, what we did, we decided to put as many miles on her car as we could. And uh, we went to San Luis Obispo, we went to Hertz Castle, we went to Arizona, we went to New Mexico, and we went to Texas. And um, it was interesting to watch, you know, you paid two sixty a gallon for gas here. You go to Arizona, it was two ninety. El Paso, Texas, it was $1.99. And San Angelo, Texas, where we were, $1.72. And to fill up your gas tank for 25 bucks. And I was thinking, no wonder everyone in Texas drives these big old trucks. That's all you see is trucks in Texas. So we had a good time. The reason we went there is because her sister lives in San Angelo, not San Antonio, but San Angelo, Texas. And we got back on Thursday. And so today I want to do something different. Uh, Usually I follow the Revive Common Lectionary, and we, we do a series, and we're between series. So I'm going to do a topical one, and I, because I've been um, driving for 25, 30 hours, you have time to think, and you have time to reminisce, you have time to look forward to the new year. So I've never done, or I can't remember, doing a message on how to prepare for the new year. And so let me pray, and I'm just going to speak from experience the lessons I've learned throughout my life and the steps that we can take on how to prepare for next year. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this opportunity to get, to get in your word. We thank you, Lord, uh, for the people that are here, and we just ask you to bless the ones that are still traveling. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said amen. So my question is to start off today is how do you personally feel about entering 2019? Now, a lot of us can be really excited about it, where we're going, this year, 2019, will be the year that I'll meet Mr. or Mrs. Wright. 
or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to accomplish this, or I'm going to finish this. And so therefore, our expectations are high, especially if 2018 has been a rough year. And a lot of us had rough years this year. I, you know, I was just talking to somebody today that I've been in and out of doctor's offices since August every week almost, or at least once every two weeks. And I wasn't expecting that, so therefore you're just hoping that it won't be the case this coming year. Or maybe you're the opposite where you're nervous about it, where you look at 2018 and you go, ooh, I don't want to repeat that again. And all of a sudden you're very uh, kind of worried about next year. What does next year have, have to do? And so what happens is when we get excited or when we, when we question about the following year, how do we prepare our hearts? How do I prepare my mind for this new year? And so I've learned this. Instead of looking backwards, I start, start need to begin to look forward. And so can I look forward to 2019? And I honestly believe all of us can look forward to whatever circumstances you and I are facing today. We can look forward to it. In fact, in Romans chapter 5, and I think this is passage, Paul's like my foundation. The stuff that he writes in the Bible is solid to me. He writes this, For because of your faith, he has brought us into this place of the highest privilege, where we now stand and we confidently, if you look at that, confidently and joyfully, you, can't, you have to have those together, Look forward to becoming all that God has in mind for us to be. Can you imagine if this was our scripture, if this was our prayer for entering 2019, to becoming all that God has in mind for us to be? Now, this is where it's interesting. If you think 2019 is going to be perfect, that's what you want. I want it to be perfect. I want everything to go right. I promise you, you're going to live with disappointment. Because I've been on the planet for 56 years. I haven't had a year that went perfect. Unless I was one or two years old and I can't remember. But it, it hasn't gone perfect. And so therefore, if you're looking forward to better circumstances, better situations, then you're going to get disappointed in life. But how, what happens if we look forward to personal growth? What happens if I begin to look forward to what can God do in me? What type of healing that needs to take place in my life? How can I be healthier emotionally? How can I be healthier spiritually? How, I, how can I look forward to having a stronger relationship with Christ? How can I look forward to having the peace that passes all understanding? That's one prayer that I've had for years. And I have moments of it when I stay there, but I keep moving around when it comes to this peace. And so how do I look forward to what God wants me to do in my life? And so I've learned this. I, I'm weird. You know that, right? That I have a binder of all the letters, all the painful letters that I received in my life. It's in my office. And there's sometimes I go and I read those to remind myself how far I've come. It's really interesting. I don't know why I did that, but I have it. And so I look at this and I go, oh man, these are incredible lessons I've learned about the new year. 
And I'm going to give you four steps that I've learned in through just going through these um, steps. The first one is this. What do I need to let go of in 2019? Now, for me, in 2019, my goal is to let go of worries. Now, I don't know if I'm the only one on this, in this church that worries, but I know how to worry. If I was going to do a class on worrying, I'd go, look, I'm signed up for January 5th. We're going to do a class on how to worry. None of you would sign up because all of you know how to worry, right? And it's interesting because I put the definition. I don't know if it's on the screen. But worrying is a nervous anxiety about what might happen that keeps you from enjoying what is happening or looking forward to what could happen, right? And so, therefore, when I'm worrying about my health all the time, I, I, it stops preventing me from having the peace. It stops preventing me from having the joy. And so I worry about stuff that's never happened. Have you ever done that? But you continue to worry about it. You continue to worry about it. And I've, I've learned that joy is an arm distance when I embrace worrying. Psalm 37 says this, Don't fret, and worrying tends to only to harm us. So how do you not worry? Have you thought of that? How do you not worry? Because people say flippantly, stop worrying. You go, oh, thank you. I never thought of that. I never thought of stop worrying. So I'm going to stop. But this is one thing I've learned about worrying is I need to stop doing what's not working. This is how I start working things out. Okay, I'm figured this is not working. So I need to stop this. Then if I stop things that aren't worrying, then I'm going to get to the point where the worrying will cease. Now, this is the stuff that I need to stop doing because it's not working. And basically, it is this. It's logic. Have you ever used logic? Like, this is going to happen. I've tried to use logic all the time with God. And I, God does not work in the logical world most of the time. He works in the spiritual world. And so, therefore, in my logic, I start going, logically, this doesn't work. This doesn't work. This doesn't work. Do you like to read surveys? Walter um, Carver did a survey years ago, and this is logic. He did a survey about worrying, and he came to the conclusion, based on statistics, that 92% of all your worrying never happens. That's logic. Where do I go? 8% happens, right? And that 8% is the biggest things. So that logic, for me, when I look at this, it doesn't give me peace. So let me show you this. This is, welcome to my mind here. This, this is when you know you're getting old, okay? When your wife says, I filled this out for you. Do you old people do this, right? <laughs> they have pill boxes. And the pillbox, I go, you gotta be kidding, because it has Sunday, Monday, AM, and Sunday, Monday, PM. So here's your box. This is simple. You just take it, right? And there's three pills that I need to take every single day for my heart. So I started looking at those pills, and I go, okay, these pills were given to me by prescription, by a doctor. The doctor knows exactly what I need and how I need it, so he gives me a prescription. I go to the pharmacy, and I know that if I start taking these pills, it'll take a while for it to kick in, correct? 
We know that, logically. And so this is what I was thinking. What is the prescription God writes out for us to stop worrying, for that disease of worrying to stop? And I discovered it's three pills. And I, and I thought in my head, because this is how I think, if I do this every day, take these three pills, because God prescribes this for me to stop worrying, and then within a few weeks or a few months, it'll start kicking in. You get where I'm going here? So then, because I'm very simplistic, and so I look at this and I find the prescription and what he writes. It's in Philippians 4. Now follow me on the screen. Don't worry about anything. <laughs> hey, this is God, okay? Instead, here's the pills. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank God for what he's done. And here's the outcome. If you do this, you will experience God's peace. i got to swallow these pills, right? And so, therefore, if I start doing this on a daily basis, and I, I put them up, pill number one is I need to pray about everything. Pill number two, I need to tell God what, what I need. Whatever it is, I need to give it to God. And number three, I need to thank him for all of what he has done. So just like when I take three pills on a daily basis without thinking anymore, i got to do this because this is a prescription to release the worrying so that I've, I need to do this. Now, so therefore, if you look at Scripture, because I'm putting series together for 2019, then I find that even Paul even talks about, gives this great illustration on what that means. He, puts, he says this in 1 Peter chapter 5, Verse 7, he says, cast out your anxieties on him. He cares for you. Now, it's interesting he uses the word cast because they're fishermen, right? Have you seen my peeps? If you watch my peeps in sometime in Montana, they're standing in a river with a fishing pole, and they're constantly doing this. Have you seen that? I guess it's just real relaxing to stand in a river and do this. Well, they're casting. That's what they're doing. They're casting out thing, and then they whip it back in, and they cast it back out. So I was looking at this, and it was casting. I get it now. Because cast your anxiety, you simply throw it out right to God. Boom. But what happens, because he knows this, we end up pulling it back in, don't we? And we cast. So therefore, they pull it back in. They cast it right back out. They pull it back in. They cast it right back out. Once they pull it in real quick, it goes right back out. And so I understand this emotionally because it's things I surrender, I cast out, but I take right back. And when I take it right back, I need to cast it out again. Now, what happens, we want the line cut. That's what we want to do. But there's no dependency on God if that line's cut. Because a lot of things that I cast out that I don't need to cast out 20 years ago, I'm casting new things out. And so therefore, this casting thing makes sense. And therefore, about he loves me, he cares about me, he, he loves me, he cares about me. That constantly in 2019, I need to cast these anxieties out. If you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus really deals with this. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. 
And why do you worry about your clothes? Look at the lilies and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing, and yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully about flowers that are here today and gone tomorrow, he, he more surely will care for you. So what Jesus is saying is if in your mentality, in your thinking, that understand that God loves you, that he cares deeply about you, and that when do the worries come, it's much easier to cast them out when you know he cares and know he loves you. The th second thing I've learned, and then this is one thing, is when I entered 2019, I've got to adjust my expectations. Now, expectations are really interesting to me because the way I think about something is going to govern my life, right? The more I dwell on something will be this focus on my life. For instance, resentment, bitterness, anger, frustration, stuff like that. Man, it governs who you are, what you do. It's like, do you want to go at the Christmas with the family? No, I hate Aunt so-and-so. And so it governs your life, right? And so therefore, it's very important to understand. That's why in Proverbs 4 it says, be careful what you think because your thoughts will run your life. If you wake up in the morning and go, it's going to suck today. Oh, I'm telling you, it's going to suck. And so this is where you need to adjust your expectations. Let me tell you this. I'm, you know, I haven't been to counseling in a while, so you guys are my counselor right now because I can't afford it. But if you look at this, that our expectations is Christmas. Christmas, I've always had to adjust my expectations because I always had high expectations of what Christmas should be. This is when you're young. And then it just seems like disappointment after disappointment doesn't it? Because it's not what you thought it would be. It's not who you want to be with. It's not this. You didn't receive this. And so we've learned to adjust our expectations when it comes to Christmas. And so therefore, I'm not, I'm not saying, look, just expect the worst of everything and then you won't be disappointed. But I'm saying when we adjust our expectations, we've got to start this. In 2019, can I begin to expect the best in me? Can I be, expect that God's going to use me in the circumstances that I'm not prepared for? Can I expect the best in other people? Can I expect to be encouragement to other people that need encouragement? Can I expect to see the need, needs around me that I can answer those needs through the Holy Spirit? Those are the things that we need to begin to expect, expecting a deeper relationship with God. See, in these circumstances that I'm learning, my mantra has always been this way, that we take ourselves way too seriously, but we don't take God seriously enough. Don't we? That's why, you know, people get on me about my self-deprecating humor, because I make fun of myself a lot. I don't take myself that serious. I try not to. But I need to take God more serious. And so I just need to chill out about myself. Angela made a comment at the beginning of the service that I came in today with no expectations. I just told her, start the service whenever you want. Because I know this Sunday is a rough Sunday uh, because what happens is, <laughs> is my staff's gone. Uh, 
Liz is gone because Liz had to take off to Florida because her aunt passed away. And between these two Sundays, when everyone's gone, judge your expectations. And I'm telling you, I'm enjoying today. Whether the sermon works or not, I'm enjoying today because I have no expectations. I've adjusted them. And this is what we need to do is adjust in our lives. The next one in Philippians, and he talks about the word fix. You know how we fixate on something? You know how children do that a lot? They go, I want that toy. And you're sitting in Toys R Us, and you go, come on, you can have any toy. Why are you picking the $75 one? And, you know, we're on a budget. But they get fixated, don't they? You know, we adults don't change. We get fixated. And, and the thing is, Paul knows this. So he goes, if you want to get fixated, fixate on this. That's what he's saying. Follow me. Philippians chapter 4 8. Fix your thoughts. Isn't this interesting? Fix your thoughts on what is good, what is true, what is right. Think about the things that are pure and lovely and dwell on the fine, good things in others. In others. Think about all that you can praise God for and be glad about. Whatever's good, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's in good report, those are the things to think about. You see how he said? Fixate. You want to fixate? Let's fixate into 2019. And so let me suggest if there's something you're thinking has to happen in the next year, fixate on him. Fixate on what God. So we've learned to let go of your worries. We've learned to adjust our expectations. And the third one that's really deep for me is to take the steps of faith. This is hard. Christians talk about faith all the time, but it's hard to live by faith. Now, this is one thing. In 1993, I wrote a poem. I was good at poem because I was fixated that all my life represented a puzzle, and it was in pieces. And I did not have the board to put my life back together. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation where you just want somebody to fix it, put the puzzle of your life together. And so I wrote this poem hoping that 1994 would be a year that my life would be complete. And so therefore, my life fell apart more in 1994. I lost a relationship that I loved dearly. I lost my house. I lost a car. I lost my job. And I was living with my parents when I was in my 30s. I lost everything. And people came up to me and tried to use the word of God, like, why don't you read Job? (laughs) Why do I want to read Job? His life was worse than my life, okay? And so, but they would say, read Job. But I read Hebrews chapter 11. And I really felt back then that in Hebrews chapter 11 is what I needed to rebuild my life again. Hebrews chapter 11 is known as a chapter of faith. It begins this way. Now faith being sure of what we hope for and certain for what we don't see. Now, if you look at the beginning of the scripture, certainty and joyfulness go together. And I needed joy even in the midst of rebuilding my life, rebuilding that year. And so, there, so following the screen, sure of what we hope for in God, certain of what we 
don't see is his love and his power and his grace for our lives. Faith is a certainty in our lives. That's the definition of faith. And so when we begin to look forward to God restoring our lives, then faith has to kick in. But here's the thing. So I read chapter 11, and if you look at chapter 11 Hebrews, and I encourage you, the, Hebrew, the person that wrote Hebrews just writes details of the facts of people's faith, of people in the Bible. And he talks about Moses. He talks about different people in the Bible and their faith. And so therefore, I, I figured this, faith is not just going to church and praying. Faith requires action. So once I read chapter 11, I go, I got to get off my sorry. Uh, I got to get off my rear end. And I can mourn and grieve and feel sorry for myself, but that's not helping me move forward. And so when I read this, I figured, and I, I wrote things, that, things on the screen here. One thing they understood that, one thing they had was understanding. They understood who God was. That, that, that was their foundation. That would cause them to move by faith. The next thing, they knew that God had formed them and then formed the plan, how powerful God was, that he could restore many things. Then a group of them offered. They gave an offering to God. They offered themselves. They offered this. And I had to learn in order to have faith, even if I, my life was all apart, that I needed to offer what I had left to God. Then other people in Hebrews 11 decided because they had faith, they made a decision to move forward. They made a decision to say, you know what? I've decided that this is not working anymore. Just feeling sorry for myself. I gotta move forward. And then some began to build, which I thought was interesting. They began to build their lives over again. They had faith. Some of them went, like Abraham. He had to move. He had to get out of the situation. And there's many times that we go, I hope the situation's better, but we have to have the faith to realize that that situation needs to be left. There's many of us that are in jobs that we hate, but we just don't want to leave because we know what to do. Or we have dreams that we never pursue. And if you look at this faith, I believe a lot of us have dreams that we've given up. We've stopped dreaming. Some people in the Hebrews 11 trusted. They had this incredible faith that they trusted God. Other people were a blessing to other people. And the thing is, the other one I like, they saw things differently. You know, one thing that I've learned that I can change my perspective much quicker than I can change the circumstances. You notice that? That all of a sudden, you know what? The circumstances need to change, but my perspective can change right away. Other people left. The people of Israel left. They went to the promised land. Other people persevered. And perseverance is a requirement when it comes to faith. And so if you look at this, even, even when they crossed the Red Sea, there's many things in our lives that we've been putting it off emotionally or even physically because we say it's too difficult to deal with. And we have these emotional and spiritual Red Seas that we don't want to deal with. But man, by faith, they crossed it and they went to the other side. 
And so this is important for all of us to understand that there's many things of perseverance. Some people welcomed, other people that weren't welcoming. They welcomed people in their homes. Other people conquered because of their faith. Other people ministered because of their faith. Other people gained because of their faith. James chapter 2, verse 17 says this, In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is what? Dead. Man, wouldn't it be great? Look, let me tell you this. In January, our church board is making big decisions, big ones, about the property. And I'm going... I can't do this. This is crazy. But if I really felt God put restored in order to restore, that's the property. And so we're going to make some big decisions. I don't want to do it. I don't want to make decisions like this. These are big decisions. And this is why I have a good church board. But we've got to cross that thing. We've got to deal with it. Because if we don't, we'll just stay in the same position, the same rotting buildings, the same things, and 20 years from now, when I retire, it will be 20 years when I'm 75, because we don't have a great pension, and so, but we've got to make decisions. Colossians says this, and I like this in chapter 2, verse 6, and now just as you trusted Christ to save you, trust him to, uh, to with each day's problems. Here's the problem. Many of us as Christians really have not trusted our salvation in him. That we realize that we are saved by the grace of God. That we are cleansed from all righteousness and all sin. And therefore, it's hard to trust him in everyday problems when we haven't really trusted him for our salvation. Number four, last one, is to hold on. This is a good one. Because in Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, I am convinced... Again, that nothing can ever separate us from the love. Death can't, life can't, the angels can't, demons can't. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow, or even the powers of hell can't keep us from God's love away. Whether we are high above the sky or the deepest ocean, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is with Christ Jesus our Lord. This is where Paul's perspective, this is why Paul changed the world in his realm. This is why we're still reading. Because he understood the power of God's love. He understood that nothing can separate us from his love. And so this is where the question is, how do you hold on to God's love? You hold on to God's love by realizing that you've held on to by God's love. You don't try to hold on to God's love yourself. You realize that his love holds on to you. There's where it gets deep. There's where it gets powerful. For God is waiting for you to love him. God is waiting and wants to come alongside of all of us in 2019. Who knows what we're going to face? Who knows what the church is going to face in 2019? Who knows what you're going to face you're going to face. But all I know is that if I'd start beginning these four steps, that I realize who God is, that I adjust my expectations, that I've learned to trust him in, in all situations, including my health, including my emotions, including my spiritual, that if I have expectations that, man, 
God, I want to respond in the best way that I can that honors you. I want to, I want to have the, the most healthiest marriage because of you. I want to become healthy. I want my perspective to change. And so this is why nothing can separate us from the Lord. So I want to encourage you in the next two days. Oh, actually, two days until... I won't see you until next year. I was like saying, I call it. I'll see you next year. And so when you come next year at church, realize you've been consistent every Sunday for the year. <laughs> okay. But I want to encourage you. In the next two days, think. Think about 2019. Pray about it. Become what God has called you to be. Apply some principles to your life. Adjust your expectation to be what God wants you. God loves you. God loves this church. God loves me. And he'll walk through the shallow valleys of the, death, of the, the valleys. But he'll be there through the highway.